This evening we're going to be looking at uh, Baptist Faith and Message 2000, uh, the, the next section, which is section 10, on the last things. So tonight as we continue in our study um, and, and talking about the last things, I was actually talking about this uh, at lunch today with, with my kids, and, and one of them said, Dad, why didn't they just simply call it the last days? You know, the last things. Why didn't they just call it the last days? And, and I said, well, that's, you know, that's really a pretty good idea. Uh, I said, I think that there's, um, you know, the decision on the titling of this was made, obviously, a, a while back and, and by, by a group of people. And, and I began to try to, you know, think about and explain why is it that it is called the last things. So some of you may be familiar with the term eschatology. And eschatology is actually a word that's made up of uh, from a Greek word, eschatos, that means last. And so the study of the last things would then be called eschatology. So the section we have is the last things, the study of eschatology. And as we look at this tonight, uh, I, I want to, to, to make sure that we, we understand that there's way more content uh, that we could potentially cover as we talk about the last things uh, and all of the scriptures that are contained in the, in the Bible uh, individually, we, we won't have enough time to get into all of the details. Um, I, I think that it, it is important for us as we, as we look at this study this evening to understand that what we will be covering is uh, essentially the things that all Southern Baptists would, would agree to, right? There are certainly things that we could read in scripture that we may have some sort of disagreement over interpretation on as it relates to the last things. But it's important for us to, to know that there's much more depth that we could go to, and uh, Lord willing, uh, we have time. Maybe that will be something we cover in one of our extended sessions like we had with, um, with election uh, or, or something like that, that we have a series where we're able to, to cover in more detail. We do need to understand, too, that, that we're... We're not given specific dates and times that we simply can just lay out in a chart. It's, it's, not, that, it's not that easy. So I won't have any charts up here this evening to point to uh, that, that show exactly when all of these things are going to occur. We have to recognize that God has, has some things like this that in his wisdom he has hidden from us. And it's important for us to understand that um, we can understand more and we can know more by studying uh, scripture. It's important for us to study God's Scripture, especially as it relates to His, His return, but we do need to realize that there are limitations to our understanding, and as, uh, as, as human minds, it's hard for us to understand some concepts. So, so God has, has reserved some things to be revealed uh, in His way and in His time. So let's read the Baptist Faith and Message, section 10, The Last Things. And we'll begin to, to break it down and discuss it. God in his own time and in his own way will bring the world to its appropriate end. According to his promise, Jesus Christ will return personally and visibly in glory to the earth. The dead will be raised and Christ will judge all men in righteousness. The unrighteous will be consigned to hell the place of everlasting punishment, the righteous in their resurrected and glorified bodies will receive their reward 
and will dwell forever in heaven with the Lord. As I mentioned, there's a great deal of Scripture that is dedicated to uh, this section of the Baptist faith and message. In fact, in doing a little research on this, there are some 1,500 Old Testament references to the day of the Lord or in, the, in, in, in those days or on that day. And in the New Testament, approximately one out of every 25 verses contains some sort of reference to uh, the, the last things. So I'm not going to cover all that. Uh, as I said earlier, we, we, we do, however, want to try to break down uh, the statements that are made here and, and, and align them to Scripture so that we'll understand that not only are the statements that uh, we're, we're reading from the Baptist faith and message certainly founded securely on Scripture, but we also want to know where those uh, Scripture references are from. So we'll begin in taking a look at this by talking about uh, the first part of the statement, which says that God in His own time and in His own way will bring the world to its appropriate end. The God of creation, the Lord of lords, who brought all things into existence, will eventually bring all things to an end. God will bring the events of the last things about, and he will do so in his way, in his time, and how he determines. God's dominion, his power over creation has already been displayed. When we look at creation, and when we look at the creation story as contained in Scripture, we think about the last things, we think automatically about Revelation, but we need to begin to think about that in light of what we see in Genesis. So if we look at the beginning of Genesis, we see God exercising His power, His omnipotence, by creating everything out of nothing. And not merely nothing, He created it by His spoken word. So in creation, we see Him creating everything. Everything has its existence, everything has its being based upon God's will, based upon His, His, His power. We see in Scripture as we move through that God chose to judge mankind, and He flooded the earth. And in flooding the earth, God exercised His power over creation. He chose to virtually wipe the slate clean on earth, and He saved Noah and his family. God has ultimate power over creation, over His creation. So it should not come as a surprise to us that God, who is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, would also tell us that at some point in time he will bring an end to all things because he has something new to do. So we'll look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 13 as we talk about this day of the Lord that will be to come. Scripture says, This is now the second letter that I am writing you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago 
And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction for the ungodly. As Peter writes here, he is addressing the fact that there are some who have come scoffing, bringing it up to believers who are waiting on the Lord's return that, hey, everything's going on exactly as it has. Your fathers are are, are gone, They've, they've passed, and they've passed out of this world, and they lived with an expectation that the Lord would come. The ungodly are deliberately over, overlooking the fact that the world was formed by God through the power of His Word and that it still exists to this day by the power of His Word. They ignore the fact that the same powerful Word has fire kept for the day of judgment and destruction for the ungodly. We today, as Christians, face similar sort of questions. As we talk to people about the day of the Lord coming or the fact that the Lord is going to return and He is going to to bring those who are believers in Jesus Christ home to be with Him in heaven, there are many who might look to our scriptures and say, "I, I don't see it. There's been generation after generation pass away saying the same thing. Why do you have faith? And we have faith because we know the one who has made the promise. We have faith because we know the one who has created all things has made that promise and that he will be just and he will remember and he will bring it to fruition. We believe because God is the one guaranteeing the promise. The ungodly are overlooking this. The ungodly are, as it says, deliberately resisting the truth. He continues on in verse 8 and says, But do not not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. When we see this, we, we we need to understand that God is not working on our timetable. We are temporal beings that live in a world that circles the sun, that gives us a 24-hour day, a 365-day year. We count things by our watch. I actually forgot my watch uh, this weekend when we were out and about, and it was weird. I kept like, where's my watch? I kept checking my phone. I told Liz how, how weird it was not having my watch on my arm. We're bound by time. And, then, and nothing helps us understand that like aging, right? The older we get, the more that we realize we're bound by time. We are temporal beings. And we have timetables for things. I have a schedule that I follow really closely because if I don't, I can't get things completed. You should see the flow chart of how online school goes at my house. There's five different Zoom calls to be on. I have to be on my calls. We're bound by time, right? But we need to realize that the creator of time exists outside of time. What is a day to an eternal God? How do we even understand those concepts when we begin to think about time as it relates to eternity. A day becomes nothing. 
Scripture tells us that God fulfills his promises in his own way and in his own time. Time and time again, we see examples. Uh, Josh mentioned Abraham uh, this morning in, uh, in his sermon. And as we look to the example of Abraham, God gave Abraham a promise to make him into a great nation when he was about 75 years old. But it wasn't until he was 100 that Isaac was born. And that great nation was one person at that particular point in time. Now we know over the course of time, God continues to fulfill that promise. And he makes them into a great nation. But it wasn't on the timetable that we might expect when we see that promise given. So God is fulfilling things in his way, in his time. I also want us to see that God is not slow in fulfilling his promise and that him tarrying, him waiting is actually grace and mercy to the lost. Every day that goes by is another day for the lost to believe upon Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. And as much as we want to see the day of the Lord hastened, we need to realize that as the word of God goes forth into the world, that it is not returning void. Many are being saved. And Scripture tells us that God is not slow in the way that we count slowness, desiring that none should perish. He is allowing time for us to be saved, for the lost to be saved. Verse 10 He continues, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So the scripture says the end will come swiftly, like a thief in the night. And I want to mention at this point that there are additional discussions that we could potentially have uh, about this, this area, about the timing There are are signs, there are scriptures that tell of signs and things that will precede Christ's return. We're not going to delve into those, but I do want to provide one example for us to see where God says that he will provide signs to help us see that the days are approaching. It's from Luke 21, 25 through 28. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars And on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of heaven will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your your redemption is drawing near. So when we read this scripture, we see that there are things that are going to be occurring. These are the birth pains that we read about uh, in scripture, talking about the coming of Christ, becoming sooner or coming soon. Watch for these things. We're not to be hung up on watching for these things. I don't believe. I don't believe that, that we're to begin just watching for signs. I believe that the Christian life is to be lived. I believe the Christian life is to be lived in obedience to the Lord and in love and service to Him and in love and service to other people, just like our church's mission statement says. But we do want to recognize that while we believe that Christ is coming soon, that He will provide warning for us. And the warning is not just for the believer, for a sign for us to recognize that the times are coming close, that it is also a warning to those who are lost to make straight their paths. 
When Jesus spoke of his return in Matthew 24, 44, he urged his followers to be ready because he would come at an hour that we would not expect. And we certainly believe as we go through our lives and as we're busy with things, we get distracted. And as we get distracted, we often take our eyes off of the most important thing. And that is following our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is following him each and every day. And I think as we see these signs, as we talk about these signs, as we talk about the days proceeding on, we as Christians should live with a sense of purpose. We should live with a, a sense of expectancy each and every day for our Lord Jesus Christ to return or for him to call us home. Because we don't know that we're guaranteed the next second. We don't know that we're guaranteed tomorrow. It was mentioned earlier about someone having an automobile accident. If you guys have been watching the news, there's been lots of shootings and things like that going on in our community. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And since we're not, we should live as those who expect to meet our Lord at any time. So first, we've covered God in his own time, in his own way, will bring the world to its appropriate end. And next, we're going to look at Jesus Christ returning personally, visibly, in glory to the earth. So Christ will physically, personally, bodily, visibly return to the earth, and he will be surrounded by glory. Just as he physically came at his first appearing as a baby, he will return physically in the last, during the last things, during the last day. John 14, 1 through 3 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So Christ is saying that he will come again, and he will come again to take us to be with him where he is, where his Father is, in heaven. In Acts 1, 6-11, it says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things to them as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heavens as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Another scripture that gives us the, the picture of Christ returning in, in, a, in a cloud or returning on a cloud is, is from Revelation 1-7. It says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So Christ's return will be physical. Christ's return will be in glory. Christ's return will be visible to all. So what happens then when, when Christ returns? First, we see that the dead will be raised. 
In our call to worship this evening, we read from 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 through 16, which says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. We should not be alarmed when we hear this. We should not be surprised when we hear this about the dead rising. There are many examples and instances in scripture where God has already shown that he has the power over death. Jesus himself, in calling forth Lazarus after being dead and in the grave many days, showed his power over death. So the dead will be raised when Christ returns. But they will not simply be raised. Christ will then judge all men in righteousness. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 tells us that, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. After the death, after that comes the judgment, the judgment of Christ. The judgment that we're told about in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, that will take place at the great white throne. And then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according by what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now as we read this scripture, there's, there's two groups. There's two groups. There will be those who will be judged in righteousness and those who will be judged having been unrighteous. And we need to make sure that we understand that the righteousness is not about the works. The righteousness is about what they had done with Jesus Christ, where they had placed their faith. Because salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. As we've been studying on Sunday mornings, faith is accompanied by works. So it is expected that those who have faith would naturally have works that would accompany it. But a faith that is faith only that is not accompanied by works is not a saving faith. So the judgment here is, is, is not simply about the works. It is a judgment based upon what they had done with Jesus Christ. One of the last scriptures that we'll, we'll take a look at this evening is from Matthew 25, 31 through 46. This is talking about the final judgment. So when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. And before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. This is the separating of the righteous 
and the unrighteous. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison you did not visit me. And then they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer to them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So as this judgment takes place, our judgment will be judgment of righteous or unrighteous based upon our belief in Jesus Christ. And the works that were mentioned here are works that are an outpouring of that faith, an active faith, as, as James would say, that is visible and, and working in the Christian's life. God, in his own time, in his own way, will certainly bring about an end to this world. According to his promises that he has given us in Scripture, Jesus will return personally, personally, visibly, and in glory to earth. The dead will be raised. Christ will judge all men in righteousness. The unrighteous will be consigned to hell, a place of everlasting punishment. And the righteous in their resurrected and glorified bodies will receive their reward and will dwell forever in the heaven are in heaven with the Lord. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the truth from your word, the truth that tells us, Lord, that you are coming. That you will return, Lord, that, that according to Scripture, according to what God has told us in Scripture, that, that you will return visibly, physically, Lord, to, to take us home to be with you in heaven. Lord, and beyond that, Lord, we know that, that, that you will judge the righteous and unrighteous when Christ returns. Lord, and we pray, Lord, for those who are lost, those who do not know you. Lord, we pray that, that they would hear the truth of your gospel, that they would hear the truth about Jesus Christ and how they, they need to repent of their sin and believe on Him for salvation. Lord, we believe that You're tarrying, Lord, that You're waiting in Your perfect time and in Your perfect way that You're going to bring all this to an end, Lord. But we believe that, that You have given time for those who are lost to be saved. And we thank You for that, Lord. Lord, we pray that, 
that for those who do not know you, Lord, that you would stir us up, that you would, that would help us live lives that are, are, are lived with urgency, Lord, live, lived with the expectancy of your return, and that we would all the more seek to talk to others, seek to share the gospel with others, seek to see them saved, Lord, for your glory and for their salvation. Lord, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins that we have through our faith in Him. Lord, we thank you for the fulfillments of prophecy and Scripture. Be with us now as we go our separate ways. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.